We're going to the Capitol and we're going to try and give. We're going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. It's January 6th, 2022. The time now is 2.06 p.m. Oh, up on the steps of the backside of the Capitol, we're seeing protesters overcome the police. The police are now running back into the Capitol building. We have cheers from the protesters that are watching behind the scenes. This is incredible. And at this time, one year ago, Capitol Police were evacuating Congress as Trump supporters shattered the first windows as they stormed the U.S. Capitol. We're in, we're in. Let's go. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. I cover demographics and culture. I'm Claudia Grisales. I cover Congress. And I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House. And one year ago at this time, we and so many other people in the country were watching and hearing this scene unfold on Capitol Hill. Scott Detrow, you and our teammates were supposed to be taping this podcast at that time. It got delayed as we all watched this happen. Yeah. A year later, what about January 6th sticks with you? I mean, this is a really hard anniversary, and I think that's the case with a lot of us who live in Washington and, and cover politics. This... I mean, I remember hearing that shattering glass and watching coverage of from people we know describing it, thinking through who we knew inside the building, thinking as a reporter and as an American, what does this mean for our country? What is happening right now? How serious is this? And And ever since, just thinking about, was this a one-off thing or was this the beginning of a new, darker phase in in our politics and our democracy. I think about, Claudia, you and I just a few days later walking through the Capitol and, and seeing that broken glass and and just being in the middle of the rotunda and thinking about and seeing the soldiers who were then stationed there and just just not even saying that much, just looking around and, and, and trying to figure out what happened and what would happen next. Right. It was just so stunning to walk through there. I had been working remotely that week. I had not planned to be on the Capitol. And so we were going through our uh, our different shows, giving updates on what was supposed to be a very boring day, certifying President Biden's election results. And slowly but surely over the day, we start to get alerts about these uh, pipe bombs that were discovered, about a house building being evacuated, and then protesters are uh, pushing through this outer perimeter, which was held just by bicycle racks and and not enough Capitol Police officers, and the damage that ensued. It's, it's an excruciating day to relive. Those sounds take you right back there, and when you talk to people, that's a lot of what they remember is the sounds that they heard that day. And so I went as soon as I could after uh, January 6th, and as Scott mentioned, we walk through, and all of this damage remains the windows, the shattered windows, the damaged doors, the artwork uh, that was uh, damaged as well with bear spray. And it, it was pretty incredible, that scene, and kind of seeing how in the last few months, how they've tried to transform that capital and erase a lot of what we saw that day, Scott. So a lot of it is gone as if it, in some ways, it never happened. 
All right, well, let's jump ahead one year to today when President Biden addressed the nation about those events. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest, and because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our Constitution. He can't accept he lost. Again, that's President Joe Biden giving a forceful speech at the Capitol this morning. And he gave that speech again to mark that it's been one year since Donald Trump supporters attacked the Capitol building as Congress worked to certify the results of the 2020 presidential election, which Joe Biden won. You can't love your country only when you win. You can't obey the law only when it's convenient. You can't be patriotic when you embrace and enable lies. Those who stormed this Capitol and those who instigated and incited and those who called on them to do so held a dagger at the throat of America and American democracy. Now, Scott, I think it's pretty apparent even from these clips that a major part of this speech was anger. There was anger at Trump for continuing to push lies about the election. There was anger that many Republican officials have backed Trump. And there is especially anger that all of that has continued for a full year. So what struck you about this speech? Yeah, I think off the bat, I will say, I think this is the most forceful speech I've heard from Biden since since he became president. Maybe one or two other moments rise to around this, but but this was forceful. It was notable how how much he went after Donald Trump. Look, for the past year, Biden has really tried to lean into the idea of being a unifying presence, trying to reach out to Republicans, even as he uh, even as he tried to push through an agenda that, that was, by and large, mostly Democratic priorities in his tone, in his actions, trying to reach out. As he has done that, Trump has made rejecting the reality of the last presidential election a central organizing principle of the Republican Party, right? I don't think that's an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. So Biden seemed to be shifting here. I'm curious if it stays this way or not, going after Trump in the way we heard, saying that he is purposely trying to undermine the electoral system. He's doing it because he lost. And I think related to that, I was um, surprised by how much time Biden spent just stating the facts of what happened, because tied to these attempts to undermine the election has this the real effort, which Claudia has covered for us day in and day out, of trying to underplay, trying to water down just how deadly, just how serious and frightening this attack was and how sinister the motives of some of the people in the Capitol were. Biden said, no, here's what happens. Think back to that day. You know, it was really interesting. Scott can speak to this because he heard Biden's stump speech repeatedly, but it seemed that he was delivering it in a new way when he talked about we're in a battle for the soul of America. It almost felt like a battle cry today, kind of looking at the Capitol a year later, even though it's come a long way in terms of transforming its security to ensure a mob cannot breach the Capitol again. At the same time, the divide seems to be greater than ever in terms of who who believes it was a free and fair election and who does not. As we stand here today, one year since January 6, 2021, the lies that drove the anger and madness we saw in this place, they have not abated. So we have to be firm, resolute, and unyielding in our defense 
of the right to vote and to have that vote counted. There's been a lot of frustration, I think, from a lot of progressive activists at, at the way that Biden has dealt with this. By by and large, talking past, talking around, trying to do other things right. as as a lot of people out there in the country are actively working to undermine trust in our electoral system and future elections. I mean, just go, just go Google Miles Parks and read every story he's been writing right. for us for the last year, right. you know. Um, and I think kind of Claudia, Claudia uh, mentioned this part of it when, when Biden was talking about, you know, basically in as many words, I'm not seeking out a fight, but if there's going to be a fight, I will be a part of it. I will defend democracy. Like, it was a real parallel, actually, to a lot of the speeches that Abraham Lincoln gave right at the start of the Civil War when it was unclear what direction that was going to go. And I thought that way, I mean, given how much we've talked about the stakes of things and 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 what could happen down the line if this continues, that jumped out to me. And And the question is, what happens next, though, right? Because Biden has said that voting rights is something that his administration has as a top priority, and yet there remains no clear plan to actually get a voting rights right. uh, bill passed through the Senate. Right. This is a huge mm-hmm. struggle, the voting rights, in terms of that legislation is currently stalled out. And you could see Democrats trying to join those messages together. And yes, Biden was very forceful today. He brought up that image of the dagger again when he said, I will defend this nation. I will allow no one to place a dagger at the throat of democracy. I did not seek this fight brought to this capital one year ago today. <clears throat> but I will not shrink from it either. I will stand in this breach. I will defend this nation. And I will allow no one to place a dagger at the throat of democracy. We will make sure the will of the people is heard. It was a call, it seems, not just to Democrats, but perhaps an attempt to reach others who still aren't believers that he won this election over former President Trump. What can Joe Biden do about any of this? I mean, yes, he can give a big rousing speech, but what concretely can he do to strengthen the fabric of a democracy that is fraying from distrust and disinformation? I think he can do some things. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our area of expertise, facts, right? A big part of the story (laughs) from January 6th on has been a denial of what happened. And a big part of what led up to January 6th is a denial of the reality of the election. And I think I, I think I talked about this a little bit when we were talking about what's going on with vaccines, where there's this like asymmetric information warfare happening where the side that is invested in spreading lies obsesses on it and does it again and again and again and just and just hones in on on making people question reality. And then, like, the reality-based people don't talk about it that much because they're like, yeah, it's what happened, moving on. And I think forcefully saying, no, the election was not stolen. Here is what happened. Here are all the courts and elections officials who verified it, I think has some value when you have seen, you know, Domenico is in charge of polling an NPR and continues to ask questions. And you see this sustained amount of Republican voters who, who don't trust what happened in the 2020 election. So talking about that, I think, has some value. The next thing, getting legislation passed, I think that's that's the, the 
Biden administration challenge of every single topic. It's it's tough with the votes. Yeah, and I think we've seen Biden play a role already in terms of pulling back the curtain, waiving executive privilege when it comes to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack and allowing them to pursue hundreds of thousands of pages of documents tied to the previous administration, as well as going after witnesses like Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and calling them to testify before the committee. So Biden has really green-lighted a lot of this committee's work, which is part of fueling this search for facts. And we're hearing details that we did not know before, text messages that were being exchanged within Trump's inner circle, from Fox News personalities to his own son, Donald Trump Jr., who were pleading for the president to stop the attack that day. And so I think that's part of that whole effort that that Biden is helping kind of direct when it comes to getting that information out. And so these are some of those efforts where he could actually play a big role. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we will talk a lot more about all of this in a second. And we are back. Now, before the break, we talked a little bit about voting rights, and I want to get into that more. Vice President Kamala Harris pushed for voting rights action today in her speech. So, Claudia, tell us more about this. Senate Democrats do seem serious about trying to forge ahead on this front. What seems doable, though, at this point that enough senators can really agree on? Right. They have run into obstacles again and again in terms of Republican opposition, especially in the Senate. So for now, it is still it still appears stalled. And there's discussion back and forth, for example, from Schumer of saying, let's debate the filibuster then and and see if we can change the Senate rules. But the hopes are not high that they can address this in an evenly divided chamber. They just don't have the votes to move a lot of this forward. Right. And Scott, I'm curious about the White House's side of all of this. What are they pushing for on this front? I'm really curious to see. I'm thinking back to last summer, last spring or summer. I'm getting a little better at remembering when things happened after the last year. <laughs> but sometimes, <laughs> sure. it's, sometimes it's still tricky. Biden gave a big speech about voting rights in Philadelphia and about the push from his administration and how it was a top priority. And it was a very forceful speech. There were some parallels to what we heard this morning from Biden. But our colleague, Juan, I'm just shouting out everybody's reporting today. Our colleague, Juana Summers, <laughs> uh, did a lot of reporting around then about how it left voting rights advocates hollow because they all said, what are you going to do next? And the answer was, talk about this occasionally forcefully. There was no concrete plan to get things passed. And I think uh, one big question I have is how much pressure Biden puts on this conversation about whether there is any sort of way to change the Senate rules for voting legislation. Of course, that involves the same cast of characters that Biden spent months negotiating with and catastrophically came up short with Build Back Better. Um, So do those two things overlap? Is this something that Biden says, look, that's a Senate issue. We'll leave that to the Senate. Or does he weigh in? Mm hmm. You know, before we wrap up here, I think we'd be remiss not to talk again about January 6th and particularly about the January 6th committee in the House. Claudia, fill us in. What are they working on lately? 
So the committee's made a lot of progress in a matter of months. They've seen more than 300 witnesses. They've obtained more than 30,000 pages of documents. They've issued subpoenas for more than 50 individuals. And so they're moving as quickly as they can because they're trying to present their findings, a more comprehensive report of what happened a year ago today. And they're hoping to do that by this summer through a series of hearings. And they're also weighing these legislative fixes that they could consider, such as, is there an option to strengthen the Electoral Count Act and ensure that a future president can't exploit it again? Or should we consider criminal consequences, ramping those up for someone who obstructs an official proceeding of Congress, such as certifying the election's results? Mm -hmm. Can I just say one quick thing as as I, you know, round out everybody's coverage of this with shout outs? Um, like we were saying at the top that this is like a really personal and hard story for us at times right. as you know people who live in Washington and work at the Capitol. I just want to Claudia you have you have every single day covered what's going on with the committee and the news out of it and continually go back to the story for us and I just I just really appreciate it as a listener and as someone who sometimes thinks I'm so glad I don't have to go through that evidence that was just released. Oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> it's hard and you do a really great job with it. Oh, thank you so much. I haven't cried yet today, but you might get me there with that. So thank you. I appreciate it. Allow me to echo what Scott said. Thank you, Claudia. And thank you, Scott, thank you. for your excellent work. Uh, yes, thank you, Scott. But you two are around the White House and the Hill, respectively, a lot. From your reporting, what have you seen in how January 6th has changed or hasn't changed the country? Uh, what have the effects of that been over the last year? I'm curious what you've seen. You know... I was at the inauguration for NPR. You know, January 6th happened. A week later to the day, Trump is impeached for an unprecedented second time. A week after that, Joe Biden is inaugurated. And just walking through the National Guardsmen and 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 military ringing the inaugural and through the security fences and just the insane amount of security and seeing the inauguration happen anyway, it felt like it felt like these people who tried to stop a free and fair election did not win. Right. The new president was inaugurated. Democracy worked. But a year later, it's hard to feel like that triumphant moment because it feels like it feels like the people who want to undermine the democratic system in, in the United States have have somehow gained gained momentum in the last year. And that's that's a tough feeling to sit with yeah. as mm-hmm. someone who's like pro-democracy. You know, I think I think you're allowed to be pro-democracy <laughs> right. as a reporter. <laughs> Strong stance. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to have to leave it there. I am Danielle Kurtzleben. I cover demographics and culture. I'm Claudia Grisales. I cover Congress. And I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.